Welcome to Focus on the Founder. This is your host, Alan Miller from Matrix Partners. We're very excited to be joined today by Shivani Saroya, the CEO of Tala. She originally started her career in finance, where she worked both at Credit Suisse and UBS, and then spent some time actually at the UN Population Fund before coming back to, to City. And so we're really excited to have you uh, with us today on Focus the Founder, Shivani. You know, in, in prior interviews, you mentioned that you started working on, on Tala, and, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of entrepreneurial journey, but you kind of mentioned that you, you worked on Tala, it was at, the, at that time called InVenture, um, while you were working a, a full-time job. So what was it like juggling your full-time job while also working on Tala? It's a common experience that many entrepreneurs face early on. And at what point did you have the internal conviction to make the jump to exclusively focusing on your company at, in, in Tala? So it's a, it's a pretty funny story. Um, you know, I would say the first thing is that, you know, I'm probably not a traditional entrepreneur in the sense that, you know, I, I started Tala to start a company or that I always thought that I would become an entrepreneur or a CEO. Um, I really started Tala to solve a problem. And so I think in that sense, the, the fact that I started working on it while I was working full time, it almost was kind of unconscious. You know, when I came back to the U.S. after working at the U.N. Population Fund and seeing that problem firsthand over and over and over, you know, after interviewing those thousands of people across so many different countries, it's almost like I couldn't forget about it. <laughs> and so when I went back into investment banking, I just started working on it because I felt like someone had to, had to solve the problem. Um, and so I did some crazy things while I was working full-time just to keep learning. And so I ended up... Uh, you know, reaching out to about 1,500 people on LinkedIn, emailing advisors and mentors, and just talking to anybody that would listen to me um, to give me advice. Um, and, you know, started to, to learn how to code and, and build our prototype while I was there just because I was so fueled with that passion towards, you know, what our mission is to unlock financial access. And so eventually, you know, after doing this simultaneously, my boss actually came to me and we had a one-on-one. And, you know, he was like, you know, it's funny, when I Google you, <laughs> the first thing that comes up is not this job. You know, it's almost as if you have another job. And it was that moment of me really realizing that this had taken over everything um, and, and that this was really what I was driven to do. Um, but I think it was actually having someone kind of point out to me that this wasn't just something on the side. You know, this wasn't just a hobby of mine, but that I was clearly pouring, you know, everything Yeah, I gotta gotta be uh, super impressed by the hustle. That's uh, that's a great story. So now, you know, as as you started to kind of grow the, the team, you you have now teams distributed in in LA. Um, you have a you have presence in the Philippines and and then also in Kenya. Um, you know, typically in the early days, most teams tend to be sort of sort of centralized in one one spot. And obviously, that's that's changed with communication technology. But what are the what are the challenges you've faced in kind of leading this distributed team? And, and are there any sort of benefits that you've seen to this? Well, I think the, the first piece is that we are a very, you know, data-driven, but really customer-centered company. And so, you know, while we are a global company, it's really important for us to have teams that are close to our customers. And so the fact that we're working on something that has a global vision um, and we're solving a global problem, it requires us, in a sense, to have that distributed team. And so, 
I would say the first thing is that, you know, we almost went in eyes wide open of saying this will always be a, a challenge for us, right? Um, and so we put in some of those communication practices and traditions, um, and I would say like founding principles, you know, from the beginning that have enabled that kind of scale and allowing us to stay kind of as a close-knit team. So we're about 165 people now globally um, across those three offices, uh, Los Angeles, the Philippines, and Kenya. Um, but what I think is you know, really kept us together as a team, or maybe in spite of those challenges, is um, is really, again, making sure that everybody is really a part of user research. Um, and so even if we may be different and coming from different backgrounds, at least one of the things we can ensure is that we are being transparent about our insights about our customers um, and their behaviors and what they want, you know, and need and should do with, with money. And so that kind of grounds us back into our mission. Um, I think the other piece, though, is, again, around hiring. Um, so this may become, you know, unsustainable at some point, but for now, um, I think what I've done is really continue to do all final round interviews um, as we actually develop those scorecards on, you know, what does a culture fit, you know, actually mean? Um, but right now, there is at least that common thread on each individual at the company, and that's kind of going through me and ensuring that they, you know, really do embody the behaviors of our founding principles. Wow, so you're actually kind of traveling to different geographies to kind of conduct these these final interviews? No, I mean, that is where we're using technology. And so I'm, I'm having to do, you know, Skype video calls at, you know, random hours of the night. Um, but yes, I mean, when it does come to kind of like our leadership team, executive team in these countries, um, it is important to always do that in person because that person is then going to actually go out and build that team um, and be the person really responsible for developing that culture. Um, but I think the way that we've done it is, you know, is really making sure that it kind of goes vice versa. And so, yes, I'm going there. Other members of our leadership team are going to the countries every quarter. But then our country managers are also coming to Santa Monica and spending time with us here um, so that they can also take it back with them. So that's a great overview of the company and, and kind of how you've started here. So let's go let's go into more detail around Tala itself. So you know, on, on your website, you kind of have posted this, this statistic that sort of two to three billion people in the world, roughly, right, it's hard to measure, mm-hmm. you know, do not have any credit history and consequently can't access traditional banking services. But it's a little bit of a weird thing where you're, you're you know, Tala is in a sense kind of creating a new market similar to Uber and, and Airbnb. So when you when you started this out, how did you assess the sort of TAM question here, and you know how much um, you know potential borrowers might be spending annually? How did you actually go about thinking through that? Sure. Um, so the first part I think is that you're totally right. You know, it's hard to assess. I think one of the numbers that we do know that has come out from the World Bank is that about 31 percent of the adult the adult population worldwide. Um, so it's about 1.5 billion people are currently covered by credit bureaus. So it's, you know, 69% though of the adult population globally is not in a bureau. And so it makes you realize how big of a problem this really is. Um, and because of our ability to score anyone with a smartphone, um, you know, in that sense, our, pot- our potential market is a lot bigger, like you're saying, than what a traditional lender would, you know, think of as their market opportunity. And so in that sense, we can actually score probably 2x 
the population that a traditional credit bureau can, um, which gets us to about the fact that our our TAM globally is about 3 billion consumers. Um, and I think you're right in the sense that it's not really customers that are currently served by banks that we're switching over, or even customers that might be going to microfinance, because we're actually creating something entirely new in terms of the experience. Um, so the way we pick markets is by looking at, you know, kind of political uh, infrastructure in that market. And so making sure that, you know, it's a safe place for us to enter. We're looking at regula- the regulatory market. We're looking at currency fluctuations. Um, and then we're obviously getting into, you know, what is the Android or smartphone prevalence in any given market um, because of the way our app works. And then from there, we really start to get into kind of demand for credit and purchasing power. Um, and so within that, most of our customers are what we'd consider the emerging middle class. And so that, that means that they're making about 2 to $20 a day. Interesting. Yeah, that, that is a... That's a really interesting way of, of kind of going about the, the TAM question. And as you think about kind of the sort of practicalities of this and moving into different geographies, because, you know, this, this sort of two to three billion people there spread across all different parts of the world, really. So how do you think about customer acquisition within different communities or within different countries? And, and how do you develop the expertise as a young company to acquire customers across such a diverse set of regions? we started with, you know, when we launched our first country, which was Kenya, was again getting back to that scalability question. And I think when you look at a lot of companies in emerging markets, it's a lot of seed on the street, you know, kind of more offline marketing, more traditional marketing. And what we told ourselves was that, again, we're starting from scratch. If we could rebuild how a bank operates and how credit is delivered, how would you want to be serviced, right? You don't really want to fill out paper forms. You don't want to have an hour-long conversation. You know, we everything now is like, you know, instant, right? Like, it's no longer good enough if you get approved for something in an hour. You want to get approved in seconds. Um, and so we sort of designed our entire product with that in mind of saying, if we could recreate it, and what would be the experience you'd want to do? And so we sort of challenged ourselves and said, let's not do traditional marketing to start with. And so we said, if a customer in the U.S. downloads our, uh, downloads an app from the Google Play Store, that's what we should think our customers in emerging markets should do, too. Um, and so because of that, really, our best acquisition channels have been digital. Um, so it's been really like what, you know, a consumer app company in a developed market would be looking at. So Facebook, Twitter, Google AdWords, and then obviously local ad networks. Um, and then from there, we start to really look at what are the components locally that we can leverage? Um, and so a lot of that is then getting into this idea that these communities are super close-knit, and so referrals and organic traffic actually end up making up um, the rest of our acquisition channel. Um, and so we haven't done a lot on kind of radio, billboards, offline kind of campaigns, um, because I think in some ways we've actually realized when you develop, to, you know, deliver a really, really great experience to the customer, in that, like, it almost creates its own demand um, because of the way these communities work is that they do tell each other things as soon as it works. And so um, our customers, even without giving them a bonus, will go ahead and refer. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool place to be in. So then thinking about the actual action of, of, of lending, how does Tala do this? Is it is most of it done off of Tala's balance sheet? Do you have a separate outside lending facility? 
how do you guys actually make the loans to the end consumer? Yeah, and, in, and that kind of leads to the next question, which is really around data. You guys track something like 10,000 plus data points from a, a user's smartphone, which is really incredible, and then use that information to build the credit score. So uh, without having to do like what we do here in the US, which is to build like a traditional FICO score by pulling this massive credit report, right? Is it imaginable that your data sets could improve the accuracy of even sort of the conventional credit scoring models uh, kind of used by established banks? Or do you see that this kind of being best in sort of these um, use cases where we're talking about kind of a, a user base that doesn't have credit history? I would say that I, I do think that the kind of data that we are bringing in, um, you know, because of the fact that it is daily life data, um, I do believe that it is more predictive than what a traditional score would show. Um, and that's really just because I think of the real-time nature of it. Um, so we're bringing in identity data, you're bringing in capacity data to really understand, you know, what are the bills that you just paid? <laughs> it gives you a really good understanding of someone's debt-to-income ratio. What is the, you know, the savings balance of this individual? Um, what are potentially the future liabilities that they already have if they're running a business um, or have a credit card? Um, and then that last piece is really around character and kind of the likelihood that someone will repay you um, and wants to repay you. And that starts to get into, you know, your social network, your primary social network, who is already in your network. Is it good borrowers, bad borrowers? What's the proximity um, in terms of, you know, where you guys are, are um, geography-wise related to each other? Um, you know, it gets into uh, starting to think about um, kind of, how do you think about bill payment consistency? It starts to think about kind of someone's decisioning. And I would say that daily life data is going to be a much more um, accurate predictor of credit worthiness than something that may have been done three years ago. And, you know, the other, the other interesting piece around this is the, the prevalence of the smartphone really, in a way, um, you know, a company like Tala may not have been able to exist without the smartphone. So how much time do you spend kind of thinking about ways to um, either evangelize the smartphone or get more uh, of these communities access? Is that something you spend any time thinking about? Definitely. So we are, you know, always working on partnerships. And so really thinking about, you know, when you look at Google's Android One team, you know, the fact that their mission is to also get smartphones into the hands of the underserved in emerging markets. Um, it's a very clear kind of alignment with our mission as well. 
Um, in addition to that, you know, we are constantly doing, uh, I would say, like reward programs or kind of fun little giveaways um, where we really think about the use case of our product. Um, and, you know, right now, you're right, there are, there are still, you know, I would say millions of people that are using the feature phone. Um, and so in that sense, those are customers that we, I mean, those are potential customers that we'd love to go to, but they're currently not in our, I would say, TAM. Um, and so by doing giveaways um, or by even providing credit to customers to then get them that smartphone, um, that's a way for us to now start to build that relationship. Um, and I would say the, the last piece of this is like, it's not, you know, I think of it as like, I don't think it's just about increasing our market opportunity or, you know, kind of increasing the profitability, but I, I do think it actually goes back to one of our key founding principles, which is putting power into people's hands. And, you know, whether they become a customer of, of ours or not, um, I think it's about giving them that choice and that control of saying, I'm going to give you access to my data and my daily life to allow to get that access um, and so I think that's been a really key piece for us is that we're we take a very transparent approach to telling the customer you know what are the key data points that we're bringing in what are the categories that we're bringing in and then giving them the choice to give us that information um, rather than just taking it great um, so many other um, you know micro options and 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 other tools out there you know, sometimes get a bad rap just for being predatory, charging really high interest rates, and just overall sort of exploiting the customer. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys think about the interest rates in which that you offer and how they, how that decision, the rate, the rate decision gets made and how, you know, each customer, you know, how you kind of customize it for each customer? Sure. So I think this gets back to uh, the fact that, you know, we don't consider ourselves a credit company but rather, um, you know, I would say a data company um, and a, you know, consumer app company or consumer finance company that's really building a relationship and a brand um, with these customers. And so um, it's a very, very important question for us. But the way we do it is we, we don't even think of it as, you know, just kind of um, saying, okay, here's what the average APR is in the market and let's just be lower than that. But what we do instead is to say, okay, so our first job is to really build an identity model and a fraud model. Um, and so once we can weed out, you know, fraudulent actors, well, then we really believe that we can lend to about 95% of the population. And it's really then about using, you know, I would say segmentation and um, pricing to then provide a customized product to these individuals. Because at that point, we believe everyone is credit worthy. And that, that just gets back to, you know, I would say our belief in people. Um, and so when we think about rate, um, that's also then how we divide it. And we say, you know, your first loan may be at this size. And what we've done is with our credit strategy, actually, and our credit analytics, been able to customize our first loan offer um, by different sizes and different rates. And the next step would then be, okay, now we can also customize terms. Um, but then from there, we've actually developed repeat loan models that then allow us to constantly rescore customers um, actually, we're bringing in data every 24 hours, but we rescore them every time they apply for a new loan. Um, and so that way, it's, again, not something that stays stagnant, but actually we evolve with their life, um, which I think is how you can then really do a good job in that customization and 
that dynamic pricing of the product. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, the other, we talked a little bit about kind of that at the sort of micro level, but what about the, the macro level? How do you think about lending in different geographies, right? So do you take into account, you know, political instability, military conflict, and some of these other factors in, in kind of choosing the markets that you want to go into? Definitely. Um, so we, we definitely look at political instability. I mean, because it, it goes into, you know, inflation. It goes into, you know, unemployment. Um, it's going to obviously factor into purchasing power and GDP. Um, and so we are looking for, I would say, somewhat, um, I would say, you know, we're looking, at, you know, as an example, um, in a place like Tanzania, um, you know, we see that, you know, government, the government there has really been pushing interoperability um, of the telcos, right? And it's, the reason they're doing that is really pushing it from a financial inclusion standpoint. It's a really strong signal for us that that economy is going to change, right? And so that's a place where, again, because we've already operated in Kenya, we understand the market, we understand the language and the culture, um, and so it's a place where it's like, okay, those factors already work for us. If we need to, let's say, you know, wait a little while, it's okay, but it's a place where we can get in early and start to really understand the customer segment um, and develop our models as that market then starts to mature. Yeah. So last question here for you, Shivani, is, you know, it's hard to, to not talk about the crypto and, and blockchain world, just given everything that kind of happened towards the end of 2017 in many ways, Coinbase was one of the most interesting companies that really kind of emerged. And so, you know, as, as you think about Tala and, and this whole blockchain and, and sort of decentralized sort of way of doing things now, do you see this new kind of phenomenon uh, impacting the way in which Tala does business or, in the, or the way in which the underbanked um, will transact? And if so, how do, you, how do you sort of foresee Tala getting involved with this new technology in the future? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, obviously sitting here in the U.S., <laughs> uh, I think we are obviously feeling it even more. Um, and so there's a lot, I would say, of, of excitement and hype around cryptocurrencies and blockchain right now. Um, and, and I think the way I think of it is right now, the ways that we're looking at it are really more around how can we use blockchain um, and cryptocurrencies in improving, I would say, the efficiency of how we get capital into these markets. Um, and so we're thinking of it more from a currency exchange standpoint um, rather than how it would affect how our customers interact with us um, because we really haven't seen that our customer base right now um, isn't interacting with it and you know that kind of, I would say, sophistication in the market is not there yet. And so it's a lot more about, you know, can we use different, you know, transaction rails to deliver the capital, but um, we are not really seeing it yet in terms of the the transaction with the consumer yet. Um, The other thing I think that we do think a lot about when it comes to blockchain is identity. Um, And, you know, I think that is the the core mission of the company goes back to, you know, unlocking trust um, globally, um, but specifically in financial systems. And so, you know, when you think about identity and you think about, you know, your credit score, right now our credit scores here in the U.S. are housed only in a bureau here in the U.S. But if I was to go to a different country, does that mean I don't have an identity in that country? Um, And so, again, like the fact that we work across East Africa, you know, we don't want to create a, a, a credit 
credit score that is only Kenya-specific um, because our mission and vision as a company is, again, global financial access, choice, and control. Um, and so that is really what we're focused on, I think, as the next part of our vision is really how can we use blockchain technology to really create um, global financial identity. Awesome. So I guess that that's about uh, all we have time for to, to, for today. Thank you so much, Shivani, and uh, really all the best at uh, at Tala. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was a great conversation. Thanks again. <laughs>